Mortgage Investors Group would like to celebrate our country's independence by thanking all of our military veterans and those who are currently serving our country. We understand and are so grateful for the sacrifices you have made for our freedom. MIG would also like to honor the memory of those who have died defending our nation and their families who have given so much for her defense. We wish you and your families the safest and happiest summer. Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm your host, and we want to thank you for joining us for this very special show. And we want to thank all of our veterans and all of the people who have made this country what it is today, um, specifically um, people who have really faced uh, the biggest challenges for our freedom. And that would be the veterans, the homestead uh, protectors, the wives who took care of things, and whoever else was involved in helping protect our freedom. And so July 4th, uh, we are celebrating this weekend uh, an incredibly important time, and that is um, the birth of our great country. So why don't we uh, let you in on what we're going to do? And we're going to have a great uh, interview that we're going to play for you that we did last year with, with Bill Lane. Bill has since passed away, and Bill was a patriot. Uh, he is uh, with the Army, Air Force, and from World War II in Europe. And I tell you what, what an incredible individual he was. And uh, Mark, I think that the nice thing about this series that we're going to play for you today is that these are true American heroes. They're true American heroes. This this uh, guy got the, the Purple Heart. Um, he was very involved in World War II and the Korean War, so quite a veteran. Absolutely. And he was a glider pilot. And you'll yeah. hear his story. It's amazing. It's a great story. He was story. a glider pilot, and, and he you know, flew two combat missions into Germany. And, and with, without any further ado, why don't we uh, go ahead and play this wonderful interview with Bill Lane, and then we have some other special stories for you in the next couple of segments. Thank you guys for joining us. I was born in South Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, between Greenville and Spartanburg, a little mm-hmm. town of Greer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Anyway, I had an offer to go to work at a textile mill as a weaver. Well, looked at my mother and my father. Uh, they had been in textile mills since at 16 years old. They ha- had nothing, uh, just from one paycheck to another. And I decided I wanted something that would give me a retirement. Well, I thought the service would probably be just as best as I could go. And... Uh, I enlisted first in uh, coast artillery, and I went down to Panama. And then when I came back, I enlisted again into the Air uh, Air Corps, and I was sent down to Maxwell Field, Alabama. Then I went up to Chanute Field, and I was up there six months taking an aircraft mechanics course. And uh, after that, I was sent down to Macon, Georgia, And uh, this is where I was at when Pearl Harbor came up. And I had my girlfriend. We were in the theater, and the manager, I guess it was, 
got up on the stage, cut the movie off, and said, uh, all you military personnel report back to your base. Wow. Well, the next morning they told us to take all our civilian clothes over and give them to the supply room, and they would ship them home because we was in uniform for uh, duration plus six. Then uh, I joined the glider pilots, and uh, I went to uh, France, uh, England, I mean, and joined a troop care group, and uh, I let, got in there about 10 o'clock at night and left the next morning at 6.30 uh, going into Holland. Uh, between that time, drawing the necessary equipment I need, uh, they had had no way of testing me to see if I could fly a glider, so they just put me in the seat, and I went. <laughs> wow, wow. And uh, anyway, uh, my tow plane was hit with a, a machine gun blast, and it ripped a hole in its gas tank, and gas was pouring out, and it caught on fire. And he bailed out his crew, and he told me to stay on, he would try and get me to the drop zone where I would land. And he, and we went in at 600 foot, and they could not hit us with those 20 millimeters because it burst above us. Mm. They couldn't cut the fuse short enough. But he started climbing, and he got up about 1,300 foot, and then all hell broke loose. Mm. And uh, anyway, he got hit, and he caught on fire, and... Uh, I, I pulled up the side of him on a glider, and I watched him, and he bailed out, and his chute streamed, and he hit the ground, and he bounced like a ball. And anyway, by that time, they decided they'd work on me for a while. So I dove down to get out of that, and when I near the landing zone, I was going way too fast. So I went through three fences, two irrigation ditches, and the uh, nose of the air, uh, the glider came unlatched, and it rose up, and it scooped sand in there, and uh, into the glider. And uh, anyway, I stopped, and I got out, and I counted the bullet holes in my glider, and they were in excess of 200 because wow. I quit after that. Mm. But And this was in Holland where you yes, landed? in Holland. And uh, there was another lieutenant there that had landed, and he, uh, my troops joined up with his, and we were told to dig in and remain there. And uh, anyway, I, we dug foxholes, and I went out and got two of the parachutes. I wrapped myself up in one, and... Uh, put one in the bottom of the foxhole, and I went to sleep because I had been in New York down at Jack Dempsey's bar, and all the people in there was buying us drinks because we had put our khakis, we turned them in, and we was going in woolen uniforms, England is cool. And uh, anyway, we wore pink green pants and a, a pink, uh, green pants and a pink shirt, and people that ask us, who are you guys? I never saw that uniform before. We said, well, we're, we're uh, New Zealanders. We're on loan to the government, and we're flying <laughs> balloons for Goodyear. <laughs> well, we had a G on our wings, and a guy 
guys said, okay, let me buy you a drink. And I understand that the bartenders had orders. If somebody didn't buy us a drink, that they, uh, they, he would give us one. Mm. And uh, so, so let me make sure I understand, Bill. So you're saying that you went from being in New York City, yeah. right, to being then shipped basically uh, over by air, by air to yeah. Holland. Well, well, to to France was it right? And no, England. Into England, and then you took off from there yeah. in the glider, and then before you know it, you're you're you you've made an emergency landing. Yes. To through two irrigation, mm-hmm. you you were obviously I guess hungover, <laughs> basically from Jack Dempsey's, yeah. right? What an incredible, fascinating story. I mean, how did, what what was going through your mind as you laid there in that foxhole? I mean, I can't even I imagine. I didn't lay there very long because I hadn't got any sleep in about two days. I mm. went right to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I woke up the next morning, and uh, nobody was there but me. Yeah. It all gone. So I listened. And you're behind enemy of, lines at this huh? point. You're behind enemy lines. No, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I heard uh, one of the guys told me before I left England that uh, I asked him, I said, how do, how do I know where the enemy's at? They said, well, listen. He said, you can tell by the rate of fire because the German machine gun goes like that and ours would go tut, 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 tut. And uh, mm. anyway, I, I listened, I heard that, and I went up uh, headed toward them, and I saw the lieutenant, and I asked him, I said, why didn't you wake me up? He said, I thought you were up. He said, you slept through them tanks? I said, what tanks? <laughs> they said, there's a bunch of Tiger Royal tanks running around in there. And we we were told to get out of there. And uh, anyway. Uh, You're wrapped up in that parachute. <laughs> it, and we were put guarding German troops waiting to be uh evacuated and so what year was this this was in 41 or when was this no it's in uh, 44 44 okay 44 okay and um anyway uh we went but we went into belgium and at an airport and we was waiting we stayed overnight there waiting for the a cargo ship to come in and take us back to france england mm-hmm. Because they wanted us back to fly another mission in case they needed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, we took it in the nightlife of Be- uh, Belgium. And so that was when you were that was when you were wounded. You have a shirt on, combat wounded shirt. Yes, so, I had. A, I got a piece. No, that was in Germany. Oh, this is another and, incident. Yeah. And uh, do you have? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, uh, uh, we were spearheading for the British Second Army. What we would do, we'd go 40 miles in, we would land, and then the troops would come back and open up a channel for the armies to come in. And we were spearheading for the British uh, Army. And uh, anyway, they uh, laid down a big smoke screen. We couldn't see the ground. We just, just circled around up there. And I looked up, and there was a bunch of high lines. I told my co-pilot to get on the spoilers. He spoiled a 40 foot of the wing, and I put it into a slip like this. It's just like an elevator. It'd go down. And we, I just cleared those lines. And they were hot, we found out later. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, uh, I landed, and uh, there was a German in over the farmhouse over there. 
he had a machine gun is on a, mounted on the window casing, and he would open, uh, put the machine gun out and fire at us. Anybody would move, mm-hmm. and I tried to shoot him with my carbine, and that thing wouldn't reach it. But uh, another glider came in, and one of the troops yelled over, said, "Do you have any grenades?" And I said, "Yes, we got a bunch." I went crawl back in the glider and got a box out, opened them up, threw him one, and I reached for another. But he said, "I won't need another one." And he put that thing on there, and you know they elevate it, and you could just see it tumbling in the air. And it hit that window right where that machine gun was. Wow. Just tore the side of the building out. I laughed till I cried. <laughs> yeah. And what a wonderful story that he shared and amazing. You know, the whole Jack Dempsey in the, the bar in New York story. Amazing. And he ends up wrapped up in a parachute on the battlefield with right. tiger tanks zipping by him, and he never knew anything. Well, he was hung over, <laughs> is what he was. That's what he said. That's hey, huge. Those are his words, not mine. Yeah. But uh, just an amazing American and really just, you know, personifies what being an American is all about, is giving selfless of yourself and not expecting anything in return, but just stepping up to the call of duty and actually getting out there and taking action. And what he believes in and what he believed in was the American dream of freedom, of prosperity, of unity. And he didn't care whether or not he was going to make it or not. He was there on the front lines. And Bill tragically, not tragically, but passed away just recently. And he, he had a great life. And he was a wonderful American. Great and you hero. know, he's a great American hero. And we have coming up Richard Gallagher, which is another fine American as well, who was from Kingston, I think it was. Yeah. And just the um, greatest uh, generation. The greatest generation, which is what this is all about. And, and Mark, you did a great job lining these folks up. Um, and it's a wonderful series for people to step back and listen to and be able to, to kind of own that generation and say, we need to do things better. We need to do things more like these folks. That's our July 4th tribute. Uh, That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. So guys, stick around with us. We have another great interview coming right up after these messages. We'll be right back. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Again, welcome back to the Housing Hour. We are continuing our special show on July 4th here, celebrating our American history and most, more specifically, our American heroes. We have uh, a great interview coming up with Richard Gallagher. He's um, a veteran from Kingston area and really just an interesting story and very humble, too. I tell you, I think you'll enjoy this. I think you'll enjoy what he has to say. And, and remember, this is someone who was, who was young in the 40s and had a real good idea of what he wanted to do with his life. And when, when duty called, guess what? He answered the call, and he did it 100% of the time. So check this out, and we'll be back after after this interview. I'm from East Tennessee here. I was born in Knoxville, and I lived within 50 miles of here all my life. And we were very patriotic. And as I grew up, particularly during the 30s, I guess from the time I was 12 years old, I knew the war was coming. Mm. And we just assumed the fact that we were going. Yeah. And when I... Uh, got ready to leave high school, there's a group of us that said, we'd all come back to Harriman and join, join together. Hmm. 
we didn't do that. That was what we were really considering. Yeah. So I entered the UT, and as things grew uh, closer, I wanted to take this advanced military. Uh, to do that, you had to join the reserve. So I joined the reserve. My dad and I talked it over in hopes I could get through my college. And I was in my junior year, but I was uh, serving uh, as a, an apprentice at a paper mill as part of my training. And after the, uh, Pearl Harbor, the next day when I walked in, Every man in there was ready to quit their job, get in the Army, and go fight. Of course, that was impractical, we knew. But right. Then as I came on back, well, I did uh, volunteer to be in the reserves and uh, until the emergency arose. And in March, they at UT, the first time I went back into class there, they said the emergency is here, and we're calling all the reserves up. So I had two weeks to get ready to go into the Army. So we had to check out a school, and all the people, the boys that were in the reserves, left UT, which was almost every man in UT left that one day. And the Air Corps was sending young men over here uh, to be trained. Well, we left, and uh, I went into basic training. And from there, we were waiting to go into uh, our officer's training. But that took a little while because they were full. By the time they opened up, it had been uh, about six months, hmm. and I was just traveling around, waiting time. And uh, so I went into officer's training. The only thing is I have no uh, sense of rhythm, <laughs> and my feet don't go where my ears are hearing, so I couldn't <laughs> give commands on the right foot or the correct foot. Let me Mark deals that. with that every day, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad situation. It, yeah. I didn't realize really what it was till much later. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't make it, so back in the Army I went as a private. And as I stayed a private most of the time, I was in there. Talk about the feeling of, of the responsibility you felt to really serve your country. Well, I thought it, that was just normal. Mm. If the United States uh, was in war, then it was my duty to do what I could to help them. And seeing what was happening in Europe, uh, they closed all the churches, mm. and they were eliminating the Jews, and that would, I felt like, man, the whole world ought to go over there and do something Absolutely, about that. Yeah. So I was part of that world, mm. and this is what I did. And even though I didn't make an officer, I was still did everything I could, which wasn't much uh, in the Army, because after I volunteered to, to go in, the draft board chairman called my dad and says, why would you let him go in? He could have stayed and finished his college if, if he had wanted to, and then I would have gone to Oak Ridge to work. Right. But I'd rather go ahead and spend that three years in the Army. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, that you were a private. Yes. And that that's, was the capacity that you served. Yes. And, of course, you served alongside other ranks and other people. And that's one of the things when I look at what the greatest generation accomplished, it was people from all different sides of life and different, yes, just different cultures and all of that. Talk about how it felt because you were from East Tennessee, like you mentioned, and you were being integrated in with people from New York, people from the West Coast. How was that? Because you, you guys really came together as this band of brothers, really. That's right. And how did that feel? Talk about that. It, it was difficult because yeah. – there were different customs, and they used different words. And at times, <laughs> I, I used the wrong word, not knowing it, and almost got in a fight. 
Yeah. Because I had called somebody what I thought was a nickname, and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had some, some trouble there. And I say the outfit I ended in was uh, sort of a varied outfit. That mm-hmm. One guy had been a, a bootlegger, or, well, operated still. Another guy had been a pimp. Wow. And, and another guy had run a, a hardware store. Yeah. And so we were from all walks of life. And another yeah. guy was a crane operator. He turns out to be my squad leader. <laughs> and I was supposed to teach him how to build stuff in, in two hours, mm. which was a little difficult to do, but I did my best. Mm-hmm. And so I, I served under him. Yeah. Behave myself. It was good being a private because nobody looked after you. Right. You you pretty much just you know took the orders and did what you had to do. That's right. When nobody said anything, I did what I wanted to do. Mm. Let me ask you this: um, a little bit about how you you talked about Pearl Harbor. You yeah. talked about that you guys were almost instantaneously wanting to go and join. Um, talk about the flip side of that. Once once we actually delivered what what I would call um, the final blow you know, which was, I guess, in August of, of 90, of, uh, 45, um, talk about that feeling as you sat in the Philippines and you heard the news. I mean, y'all didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. Obviously it was news to you as well. Yes, it was. Um, but talk about the emotions and how that felt. Was it, was it relief? Was it fear? Well, it's sort of a shock in a way. Well, one thing is it's sort of a double shock for me since they, uh, since three of my family farm was taken over for, for mm. that, and it turns out that the material for that first bomb came from my grandfather's, uh, great-grandfather's farm no area kidding. where it was where it was developed. Wow. I was glad to know what was going on up there. Mm. So was, that was the first you had known of it. That's right. You oh, could wow. the it was such that nobody would speak of what was going on up there, and if they you ask somebody questions, they'll answer truthfully, but they didn't tell you what was going on. They answered in a different way, such as how many of the people up there worked. The answer was about half of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for those who don't know, he's talking about the Manhattan Project, the yes. Oak Ridge, the secret city, going from not even on the map to being the third largest city in the entire state overnight. So that's what he's speaking of in that they took people's farms and land and it was just a very secret thing. And it was kind of a, just, they overtook the area. So that's, that's right. what he's talking it, about. It completely went from farmland to 75,000 people in a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to see the very start of that uh, construction out there mm. and also see part of it to, uh, in four months, how much progress they had made. And, uh, but my feeling was when that bomb went off, hey, that's a good thing. Mm. This is where I want to go work, not mm. on the bomb, but right. on the use of that energy. Right. Oh, wow. So Great so line. That's a really good line. That's a takeaway for me. So, so the emotions that you felt were, number one, I can't even imagine, because here you are revealed now what was happening in that farm that your great-grandfather owned. Yes. You all of a sudden realize this. But then also, I mean, here you are. I don't know how many miles the Philippines is from Japan, but you get orders that you're to go to Japan. That's right. How did that feel? Well, I did, I just didn't feel on that. When orders yeah. came, you just went. Right. Well, did you, so, did, were you, was it near the, the bombing sites or was it just? Oh, in the, no, it wasn't near the bombing sites. And 
But you, you certainly were going to see some of the devastation by the people. Yes. Yeah. And I did see some of the devastation. I never saw combat. Mm-hmm. I saw the results of combat. Mm. And uh, even when I got to Japan, it was quite... Now, that was a culture shock when I went up there. I bet. But in the Philippines, I did go out and actually visit with some of these people that lived in the Philippines that had lived under the, the Japanese rule mm-hmm. and could hear what they had to say. So... I got a lot of how people reacted to this war and what happened to them. I tell you, what what a funny story that he had about the nickname. You know, that was that, <laughs> that was, was so hilarious. good. I mean, I, I've done that. I've said things that I thought were something and they weren't. <laughs> but he was in the heat of the battle, not just in the war part, but the battle within himself that he's getting ready to challenge himself unlike he's ever challenged himself before. He's trying to relate to people he doesn't know. He's, he's, he's just taken a leap of faith that this is what God had called him to do. And he's having to really work with people that are not like him. And so he made an off-color comment, and but guess what? He didn't let it ruin his day. He just kept moving forward and kept fighting. And guess Great what? He, he That generation is why I'm able to speak in this microphone today. So, guys, when we get back, we're going to continue on talking about the greatest generation and some other very interesting things as well. So join us after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And welcome back into the housing hour. Welcome back to all of our listeners, and we thank you. Hopefully, uh, you've enjoyed the uh, interviews that we've played for you, and it's given you opportunity to reflect upon our freedom and what these individuals meant to that. And you had two kind of contrasting personalities in Bill and uh, Richard, and I think it, it really is amazing to see the different types of uh, personalities and characters that we have um, that fought for our freedom, and Bill was was quite different from Richard and, and, and vice versa, and, you know, I tell you, Bill um, amazed me with his confidence uh, in flying a glider, which, folks, to my knowledge, a glider doesn't have an engine. No, is it that does correct? not. He's, he's let and out of a plane. it was tethered to a plane that shot, was got shot up. Right. And so he, uh, I mean, could you imagine? And, and he just, he held his, his own and, and then did what any good man would do. He hid in a bunker because <laughs> yeah, he had to, yeah, because absolutely. had he not, he would have been, he would have been killed. So, yeah. and then Richard with his story. So, you know, we've been talking about um, the greatest generation and, you know, Oak Ridge, cause we're local here, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, for those of you listening worldwide, um, Oak Ridge was not a city in the 1930s. It was mm-hmm. an area, a development that there was very few um, in population. And then uh, General Leslie Groves, who was charged with the Manhattan Project and had to um, ch- choose locations um, to build the fuel for the atomic bomb to this secret, very secretive project and also a place where they would actually put the bomb together. So you had these different um, things going on at the same time. And, and Oak Ridge was, was one of the places that he chose because of um, the unique uh, topography that Oak Ridge laid in. And, and it was um, overnight went from not even being on the map to being the fourth largest city in the whole state of Tennessee, mm-hmm. going to 175,000. Nobody knew what they were doing. 
and it was just an incredible story. And part of what happened was you had these people coming in and converging upon a city of all of these walks of life. And what needed to happen was you needed to give these folks um, something to do after they got off of work, something for the kids to do. You know, these were families of scientists and PhDs and, you know, um, laborers and so forth. And they needed to have some some R&R. And so what they did is they, uh, Carl Yearwood, he built a pool, and it was the Oak Ridge Pool. And it was a defining moment in Oak Ridge's history in a lot of ways. And Mark, who did a great blog, it's really went viral, honestly, and it's called Oak Ridge Pool Turn 70, because on July 4th, coincidentally, the Oak Ridge Pool will turn 70 years old. It was July 4th, 1945, that they um, allowed the first person to jump off of that notorious diving board i suppose but mark mark decided to do this and you know i'll be i'll be frank he he came to me about it and i thought it was interesting and i thought well that is i mean because i love history but i didn't think it was going to take off the way that it has well, and it's opened up quite a discussion tell me what you did well people love oak ridge and and the oak ridgers um they love their city and mm-hmm. everybody loves their community but this one is really special because there was a pool um, a body of water there way before uh, Manhattan Project ever started. Mm-hmm. It was called Cross Springs, and that's most people don't realize that. It was a stopping point for travelers in the 1800s as a watering source because it's a fresh uh, spring-fed body of water. It was on the Emory Trail. You it was on out. the Emory Trail, right. the famous Emory Trail, Avery Trace Trail. And so um, this was a, a, a big stopping point. Well, some somewhere when Manhattan Project took it, it's always been a watering hole mm-hmm. and a swimming hole. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the 40s, uh, when Manhattan Project in the 42, people would swim in it, but it would had a mud base. Carl Yearwood decided in 1944 that he'd start putting concrete down on the bottom, and they t- turned it into one of the largest pools they thought secretively <laughs> in the world. Right. The largest pool has an acre surface area and two over two million gallons of water at that time in 1940. For when they started this. And you know, the Huge. Germans, if they had satellite imagery, they said, what are they doing? What is this large body of water? That's a terrible what is, German. What's imp- going on here? Yeah. So that's a much better. Yeah. Um, so that is amazing because, it, you know, 2 million gallons of water. Yeah. And it's spring-fed. Spring, right? cold, cold water. Cold water, oh. which in the heat of the summer is very it's, refreshing. Very refreshing. And so... It's a huge, if you haven't seen the Oak Ridge Pool, if you're one of our listeners, go to thehousinghour.com. It is one of our featured stories, and you can see pictures. And uh, Mark talked about, uh, I mean, Mark came into my office one day a couple of weeks ago, and he had this just giddy grin on his face, and he had this Google map that he had created the trail, <laughs> and he had, he had laid over top of that the trail markings and he had even you know determined where the pillar bridge that you'll learn in the story an amazing historical landmark where it was built across this body of water and he right was in the he, center of oak ridge and mark even reached out to one of the heirs of cross springs the the gentleman right yeah i believe so um, i wonder the, if they related to bill cross I, no i no. checked that out oh, okay. it is it is not but it is a william cross who was a drummer boy in revolutionary war had a farm in district 8 of anderson county tennessee district mm-hmm. 8 in anderson county tennessee is right smack in the middle of what used to be robertsville tennessee mm-hmm. which is now robertsville road grove park um, the where the pool is mm-hmm. um, so he the the heir has been looking for the farm 
in the 1800s from this drummer boy, uh, William Cross, for a long time. My, I'm suggesting because the spring was named Cross Springs and there was a farm, it's always been farmland right around there, that it's quite possible that he should investigate whether his, his great-great-grandfather, William Cross, the drummer boy during Revolutionary War, is the actual uh, original farm owner. Right. Well, we know Colin's Roberts, who was uh, given the 4,000-acre land grant for the Robertsville Air, uh, road area was the original owner of it mm-hmm. through a land grant but subsequently sold that and i believe he sold it to william cross but i'm not did certain they have yet. to recapture some of that money since it was a grant i don't know <laughs> i'm just kidding i don't know well, no no well i think it's based upon the evidence that you provided to me um i would say that you're 100 percent accurate and that that is in fact the the Ponderance of evidence. It, it, there is no doubt in my mind. And but the gentleman even said to you on the phone. I think yeah. um, he said, well, "I think you might have something here." It may, it may be, but he needs. To, he he's very detailed. And he's sure. got a great website. And I actually, I think I gave a link to his website if you want to look at it. He's done a fantastic job of uh, researching. And you can also on our website as well. You can check out the map that that Mark made. Right. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah, and it shows you the current obviously streets and you know topography if you will, of Oak Ridge. And then you overlaid that with the Emory Trail. So yeah, with the see. Emory Trail. And that's not a guess, but this is from the, the uh, National Park Service, the mm-hmm. Department of Interior in the state of Tennessee, did a historical survey in 1990, and they're the ones that gave the, these addresses. So mm-hmm. I'm just given what the National well, Park Service Well, then it must Service be true. Did. Well, it's got to be true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, better, smarter people than me found it. But and also, um, you were able to unlock in the archives at the Oak Ridge Public Library oh, love some it. pictures that really have just seen the light of day through through what you've done and it wasn't from the historical photographer that we all know um in oak ridge why can i not remember his name but it was from uh, wes westcott yes westcott it wasn't from him it was from somebody else no this is this is a photograph that was given to uh the library and their historian uh teresa fortney who is their archive manager at the oak ridge public library mm-hmm. when i started asking about questions and she said uh, hey i've got a i've got some old pictures that have never been digitized they've never been made published and she remembered this this uh, spring mm-hmm. so uh that was uh, the first photograph that I've seen of the pool back in 1938, maybe 19, early 1940s, and then before you ha- Manhattan Project. And so you put that picture yes. next to a picture from 1945, and you can clearly see the land, the exact same flow of yeah. the land. I mean, it obviously is, and it's really neat because you can see what it was before. You have probably two dozen cow cows kind of grazing. right around the pond exactly and then and you pointed out something which i thought was interesting the reason it's difficult probably for your person mr the cross air mm-hmm. is because back then things were surveyed based upon like trees and so forth yeah so when you look at the meets and bounds and everything it says you know go to the old black oak tree and then the, the old poplar sitting up on the hill mm-hmm. t- top of the road you know so do they paint the tree or something I, black no oh, you mean black this, oh okay black gotcha. oak it's right. just a I, you know they just gave the right. name of the trees as meets and bounds so so it's impossible to know where they're talking about, right. except that in in our uh, great great grandfather's um, will, mm-hmm. he he says he gives it to an heir and says, and all my heirs will have spring privileges. Right. And I think bingo, this is this is a special spring that has been but also for a long time. more than that though, more important that is a very that's prima facie evidence right there. That is, but in addition to that, the name of the road. Remember, they didn't call it East or West. It was I can't remember what name of the road well, it was. Well, it was East Valley. 
Valley Fork Road, right. which is now Robertsville Road. That's what it is. Right. But in the in the um, in the what did you call it? The will it said my farm something on Valley Fork Road or something like on that. On the East Fork. On the East Fork. Exactly. East Fork, which of Poplar, is now which is, Robertsville. Yes. And that's why we think maybe this anyway. It's the same area. I think the it's the same area. Evidence is clear. But more than that, guys, I mean it's amazing because it's a celebration. You know, in nineteen forty five it was a time of birthday of party. Unique celebration, right. And so it was just you know, a great opportunity and they've done so much remodeling and repair and they've done that over the years. And now it is July a great, 4th, 1945. It's a beautiful, you ought to go visit it. I really yeah. highly recommend that. And I've Ridge. taken the kids out there a few times and it's, it's very, very, very beautiful. And it's a great body of water and they've done the remodels that they needed to do. And it's just a nice place to go visit. The housinghour.com has the blog. So check yeah. it out, check it out, look at it. And you know what, this would be a great one to share with friends and family. I think this is one that you could, send to your grandmother or maybe your mom or your great grandmother if she's still alive and and they would be able to reflect on a very happy moment in their lives so do that and then come back we're going to wrap things up right after these messages we'll be right back The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. I'm gonna see him again. Everybody's gonna reap what they've sown. Jesus gonna build me a home. Oh, wow. Build me a home. That's wonderful. And you know what? We do. We do give all of the credit and glory to God because, you know, without his strength and mercy, frankly, um, and and all that he stands for for us, we wouldn't have anything. And, and that is a great segue into our last segment here because we find it very important to, to really thank the people who have brought us to where we are today. And, you know, there's been so many people. There's been so many relationships. There's been so many things that we can point to that has brought Mortgage Investors Group to the point where it is today. And it starts with Chuck Tonkin and Chrissy Ray, who had that vision back in 1988 when they were working with other companies. They may um, have ventured into some businesses that they didn't agree with and how they ran things for their for their employees. And, and so in 1989, these two individuals from completely different walks of life came together and put their faith in God stepped out on faith and developed and built a company that now is the largest residential mortgage lender in the state of Tennessee. They only started with two people and that quickly became seven when they opened the doors. And now we have over 300 employees and, and I'm not saying these things to boast or to brag, but they have stood on principle for 25 years and really helped people realize the American dream and been that conduit for them. And now over a hundred thousand clients over $14 billion in American dreams realized, you know, I think that their goals have been met, but guess what? They're not done. And you know, there's no, there is no slowing down. They're still there, you know, pulling the levers, making sure that people are, are being treated in a way that meets their vision, even to this day today. Absolutely. And it's, it's, and it's fun. And right around the July 4th, this, this time of year, it just makes me feel a sense of pride. It's mm. pride of our country, but mm. especially you know, small businesses mm. and individuals who have a dream and they can attain that dream and realize the business growing so big like mm. Chuck and Chrissy have done. 
and and I don't and we don't lose sight of the fact that the reason for that are for guys like Bill Lane mm. and Richard Gallagher and all the greatest generations and all of our Elsie and all for the homestead and other people that we've had interviews with and all of our the military armed forces today and the people that have given their lives for for our country and all the people at Mortgage Investors Group that have have fought that's right you know, we and did defended. a show on that we too, did do a we? show we got had Hal Flint and Bob Thompson yeah um, and, and you know there's many other people that were in the military or served their country um, you know John Parrish Diane Tate I mean I think of Denise Tate I think of a lot of the people and there's many others just in those and then we have people who have relatives who were who fought Absolutely. you know Chris Skurlock I can remember her her story John Parrish I said his name already but yeah. that's okay <laughs> um, but you know that is one of the things that makes us who we are today with all the things that are going on, all of the controversy that is happening that's on your timeline in Facebook or on Twitter. You know, at the end of the day, the people who we owe the most to, who I'm not offended to say that I appreciate is the military armed forces and the people who have protected our freedom. You know, as much as I disagree with some things that happen in our world, one thing that we can all agree upon is that the, the, Honor goes to those fallen soldiers and those who fought to keep us free. You know, we have all of the privileges that we have today for people who protected our freedom. You know, you think about all of the um, army officers. You think about the movies that we've seen. You think about, you know, whether it be Navy, whether it be Army, whether it be Marines, whether it be Air Force. And you think about the stories. You think about D-Day. You think about all that happened, the people who lost their lives to push up that front into um, Normandy and what they did to protect us and what they did as, as a, as a um, really a proactive way to protect us and to go in there and free the people and, and, and end a war through whatever challenges that face them. And I think it's amazing. I sit back and shudder at how selfless these people are. And then I think sometimes of myself and my generation, and we, we forget, we kind of get busy with our Xboxes and our Nintendos and our Facebook, and we forget about what's most important in our lives. We might post a picture or something like that, but this is just a great opportunity to reflect on what's most important, Mark. Absolutely. And I wish you a happy 4th of July, Kevin, happy, you and your family. You as well. So guys, we want to thank you so much for spending this time with us, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. It feels like we're in the dead of winter.